0: As we get started this morning, it's interesting as you study this passage, it's it's important I think every week, I try not to take too long to do this, but every week as we kind of look back and think about what we've been studying, it's helpful to see that. So I want you to just think with me just for a minute, in Matthew 16, when we were in Matthew 16, we saw Jesus comes to Peter and he asked him, who do people say that I am? And, and, and Peter answers, and Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In the next section, the next kind of paragraph in that text, that same chapter of chapter 16, what happens next? You see Peter standing there, and Jesus says, I'm going to the cross, and I'm going to die. And Peter rebukes Jesus, And he says, far be it from you, Lord. May it never be. That will not happen. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. So you kind of see these things going on and this unfolding. Now, right behind Jesus saying that my ministry is going to be a ministry of going to the cross, right behind that is Jesus being transfigured. And what we see is Jesus comes, he, he actually takes the disciples up on the mount and they see him in all of his glory. They see Him in a radically new way. They have only seen Him as a man, but they see Him as the Son of God. They hear a voice from heaven, this is My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. It's kind of like for Peter, be quiet and listen up. This is My Son, and I am pleased with Him. Now, as we get to this text this morning, as we kind of think through what has been taking place, we know that the disciples are Jesus' greatest concern. He's going to spend a lot of time trying to help them understand a lot of things. And we're going to see that over the coming weeks. We'll take a little, a couple of weeks break. But after that, we'll begin to see how Jesus begins to really unpack for them life in the kingdom and a lot of things in, in, in that way. But this morning, I just want you to kind of see some things. So if you want to take some notes, just write this down. What do we learn about Jesus? Because again, the Gospels is not all just about you. It's not all about how you respond. It's focusing in on Jesus. So a number of things. Number one, you see Jesus' authority. You see it is greater than all authority. He has tremendous authority. We're going to see that in this text this morning. We'll also see Jesus repeat again that He's going to be delivered over and He's going to die and He's going to rise again. We're going to see that this morning. Another thing you will see is Jesus tells us He is God's son. He doesn't have to give the temple tax. He is God's son. So these things are repeated, some of the phrases. Now, the fourth thing is this. Jesus will not unnecessarily offend people. And I think you see that in the latter portion. So we're looking at a lot of different things this morning. Hopefully that will kind of help you as you think about, okay, what do I learn about Jesus? And what is this supposed to mean to me? As He emphasizes the disciples, a couple of principles come to us. One is this. Jesus said if you had enough faith, if you had enough faith, you could move mountains. One is this. We have to understand for the Christian, he is to continually grow in faith and that God is doing something to cause him to do that. To begin to grow in that way. And the second thing is this. We have to be careful not to offend people. The Gospel is really offensive. It is. It is offensive to man. Because what we say to you is you are so sinful, you need Christ. You have no hope in yourself. But here's the thing. We don't want to unnecessarily offend people. And I think Jesus embodies that. There's a humility that should come with us as Christians. And that's something that you see this morning. So let's get started. You ready? Look in verse 14 and we'll begin. In 17:14, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and said, kneeling before him, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Now, I think this is the idea. Now, you think about this. Jesus has been up on the mountain with three of His disciples. There are another nine left there. And they were there, and evidently, because they have been sent out before, and Jesus said, I've given you all authority, they were still ministering while Jesus was up on the mountain. And so this person has come and said, look, disciples, can you help me? And they're unable to do anything about the matter. And so you kind of see that. Now here's another thing you see. There's a great difference between being up on the mountain and being down kind of in the valley. Up on the mountain, they see Jesus for all of His glory, and they see this amazing picture. When they come down, they're coming down into the world of man, down into the fall, down into sin. They're entering into that realm where there's darkness, and there is evil, and there's all of these things going on. So as they enter into this time, they come to Jesus. Now, I want you to think about something real quick. When you think about your life in ministry, someone this week told me, something real interesting. They were saying that they had met with someone and they they were saying, you know, my ministry right now seems to be focused on someone in great need. And and I don't really have time to do some of the things I would enjoy doing. And yet, in the midst of that, I think sometimes for me personally, I, I could be more intent on doing my Bible study and less apt to reaching out to someone in need. I could make it really big deal that I know the Bible and all the scriptures in it, but very little time of ministering to someone who can't give back to me. What you see about Jesus' ministry is so many times he is he is there among the people. He's not disconnected from life. So one thing that I think we have to see and understand is that. Now I want you to see this man come to Jesus. He comes down and he's kneeling. He's kneeling before him. What does that portray? It's humility. He is broken. His Son is ravaged by horrible things. And He's kneeling down before Him. And He's saying, Lord, have mercy on Me. Have mercy really upon My Son. Now, have you ever seen someone who's been burned really badly? I mean, really, really badly burned. To the point where they don't even look the same any longer. I, when I was a kid, this is kind of a dumb story, but I'll just tell When I was a kid, I, we had this counter and we have a stovetop. And so I would sometimes get up on the counter and get my knees up, and I would be on my knees in front of the stove and reach up because I think my mom kept some things up there that I, I think it was some snacks and stuff. And I would reach up there and get those. Well, one time I did that as a child. I got up, I reached up there, and I slipped, and my arm went down, and not knowing the stove was hot. I put my arm across there and I had these stripes across the bottom of my arm, really for like 10 years. I kept every year I'd look at it and say, "Good night, look at that." But here's the thing: when someone is burned, you fall that's nothing. I mean, I remember hearing it hit and my skin just kind of you know it was, it was rough. But if I was thrown into a fire, if I, if I would go into these moments where you would just fall out and fall into a fire and be burned up, this child has been through tremendous traumatic experience. they're scarring and all of these things. This father probably has been watching him, the Scripture says, not here, but in other places, all of his life. Since he was a child, he's been struggling with this. There's been times probably that he's had to run and grab him out of a pond or a river and pull him out because he fell over and he, he may have even almost drowned before. And all of this thing is going on in the midst of this thing. Now here's the thing. it's just something to kind of think about. When we see someone or if we heard someone was, was struggling in this way, we would immediately think it was physical. I mean, my natural response is take him to a doctor, give him some medicine, and get this under control and he won't pass out any longer. He won't go into this kind of thing. But I think one of the dangers for us as a Western-minded person is that we always think that everything is tied to the physical almost as if there are no spiritual things there are no spiritual sicknesses there are no things that are that are traumatic that are happening to people's lives it's not tied to spiritual listen this morning someone came in and said it's been a really rough time for me and and it's not the things that she was saying, it seems like the, the, there's so, there's a spiritual warfare going on. And I think we as Americans, sometimes we discount that. But but you notice here, the physical problem is tied to the spiritual in this life, in this particular case. And I think we must note that and we must see that there are so many times that we probably face demonic things, evil things going on. There is a battle in the heavenlies, in a sense, that we may never see. And honestly, if, if, if our eyes were able to see, it would blow us away, I, I believe. So I just think you need to think in that way, understand that. Now two, I just one last little thing here, is in the midst of trouble, in the midst of all those things, where does the man go? He goes to get relief from Christ. He runs to Him. He seeks Him to deliver, and he calls out and cries out for Him to help. him. look at verse 17 though as we go along. Jesus is looking at this situation and Jesus answered, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring Him here to Me. What's happening? The disciples see this, but they're not doing anything about it. They're, not, they're, they're really not able, it seems, to do anything about this situation. There's one element to where Jesus is saying, disciples, why don't you believe? I've given you the authority. Appropriate it. And by faith, go and cast out the demonic uh, the demon that is here. And so I think that element's there. Also, we know if we read other parts of this story, the man said, Lord, I believe You can do it, but help my unbelief. You ever feel like that? You ever say, Lord, I know you, what You say is true, but, but help me believe that to be true. God, I need You to give me the faith and the understanding. When he says crooked and perverse generation, what what is the idea there? This faithless, kind of crooked generation. Listen, when you don't believe God at His Word, you are demonstrating for others a crooked view of God. They are looking at you saying, you're walking with Jesus. But you don't believe those things to be true. You give people a twisted view of God, a twisted road on on the road to walking towards God and living for God. You give this... This convoluted thing, people will say, well, they say they believe, but they live in this way. It demonstrates something very faulty. It twists a right view of God. Jesus says, bring Him here to Me. And when He brings Him up there to Him, the demon goes crazy. That's what Mark 9 says. The demon goes nuts because he knows what is taking place. And as he gets there, in that moment, the Scripture says Jesus rebuked that demon and he went away. And look what it says in verse 18. And it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Throughout this this study of Jesus in Matthew, you see His power and authority as King. I mean, He is amazing. His ability to accomplish things. There's nothing that He cannot overcome. All disorder, all disease, all death, all those things are subservient to Him. He has authority and power over all. And that's one of the critical things that we see about Jesus in this moment. Now, as we kind of continue forward looking at some of the things that are here Verse 19, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast this demon out? Why why can't we do this? Why can't we accomplish these things? They understood. They'd been given the authority. God had said, You have the authority. Go and do this. Cast out demons. Heal the sick. Go and proclaim the Gospel of the Kingdom. Why is this that they couldn't do it. Now you may say, Jared, does that mean that, that you go around and do these things all the time? Now we could talk about that and spend a lot of time. I'm not going to. But I want you to. One thing just to note is this is a critical period in salvation history. Just like when you go back to to the time when God delivered the people out of Israel and He, uh, he pulled them out of Israel, and as they're doing this, these great signs and wonders, kind of right before their eyes, all the time. At the same time, in this new age that's dawning in Jesus Christ, these great signs are there and these disciples are participating in that. And I think in a very radical way, you see that in this specific time in salvation history. But I will say this, every time, every time you share the Gospel, every time you speak the Word of the Kingdom, Every time you speak to someone and you say, turn from your sin and trust Christ, you realize that there is a spiritual battle that's going on. And that the Spirit of God, with the Word of God, awakens people and they are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now, and some people wouldn't say that's a miracle. We could just talk about definitions of that, but realize this that every time we speak the Word of the Gospel, that there is this amazing power that's moving through so that someone who is a child of Satan can become a child of God. It is is a miraculous work of regeneration that can take place. And so I think you need to understand we still proclaim that kind of message and God still does amazing things in life. Now, verse 20. He says to them, because of your little faith, For truly I say to you, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Now check this out. When you think about faith, like like when when you're thinking about this specific case, when he's speaking of faith, is there a passage that comes to your mind? There's one passage that always kind of comes to my mind. It's Hebrews 11. By faith. By faith, by faith. Now, here's the thing. I want you to listen to a couple of these. We're not going to go there today. By faith, Noah built an ark. Do you know how long he did that? A hundred plus years. He's out there building an ark. He's never seen rain before. He's building this ark, and you're thinking, what is he doing? Everybody around him is almost making fun of him. And God said, build this ark, and he did it for a hundred plus years. By faith. What is that? That's a persevering faith. That is a pressing on faith. That is a faith that is active. That is a faith that is moving. That is a faith that is, is something that God would give. By faith, Abraham is going along with all the other rebellious sinners, going down his life of just complete and absolute rejection of God. God shows up, speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, get up. Turn away from the way you're going. And you follow me step by step without even knowing where you're going. By Faith, trusting in Me. Something that God really has to do. We know that faith is actually a gift from God. But God continues to build that faith and grow that faith. One time, I mean, Abraham would spend his whole life longing for a son. His whole life. And God says, take that son on the mountain and you kill him. And Abraham raises up this knife. The son he'd cried out, Oh God, give me a son. God, You promised me a son. And he was going to bring... What was he going to do? He was going to kill his son. And what the Scripture says, Hebrews says, is that he believed that God could raise him from the dead. By faith they walked in this way. It's this whole deal of these people that you say they are the hall of fame of faith because they, they move forward actively pursuing God. And trusting Him by faith. By faith, Moses left all the treasure of Egypt that he might be mistreated with the people of God by faith. So all of that, when, when He's speaking to them, He's saying, "Men, you, you need to walk in faith. Now listen to me. Principle, this is like a principle from this. You could say Christians must continually grow in faith. And how do they do that? How do people grow in faith? They grow in faith through testing. I mean, it's certainly clear that as you and I study the Bible and we read it and read it and read it, we understand we understand. And then God brings difficulty and suffering and trouble in this present world so that I cry out, oh God, I trust You and You alone. And He grows our faith. It's almost like a muscle and you keep working it and working it and working it. It builds upon your faith and it grows and grows and grows and grows. God is moving in your life. And really, here's the deal. You look back and you would say, why did I trust God in the moment? that moment? Why, why did I keep moving forward by faith? Because the Scripture says that He who began a good work in you will complete that work. So I'm not just trusting in myself to have enough faith, but I'm crying out to God, Lord, you know, help my unbelief. Help me grow. I know You're going to send trouble. This is a fallen world. Trouble comes. Trouble is here. It is a world of suffering. I know that's coming. Lord, help me walk in faith. It is You alone who I can boast in. Anna's grandmother, I shared this in community group the other night. Anna's grandmother has been praying for a family member for 40 years. 40 years. I promise you, every day... She gets up and begs God to move in the life of this person that is very dear to her. She is exemplifying a a consistent, a God-centered faith that is trusting God to do something and keep moving. I feel like the disciples are often like me. I will say, God, move in this situation. Then I'll get kind of tired and I'll move on but but in this moment i think it's this calling out and this crying out that must come prayerfully asking god to move now let's keep moving here and i just want you to see in verse 22 as they were gathering in galilee jesus said to them so as we move away from what's taking place there we kind of move to this next step and jesus brings it back i'm going to suffer i'm going to experience this great suffering notice what it says in verse 22 and 23 as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Just stop there for a moment. What is that saying to you? He is going to be delivered. He's going to be delivered. What, what, what does that mean? Do you all ever have someone deliver something to your house? This week, I'm, my office is at my house. I'm sitting there. I see this guy drive up. I think it was, uh, I can't remember. It was maybe the UPS man or whatever. He pulls up. I see him driving up. And I think, oh, he's dropping off a package, so I run to the door. Not really. But he does. He knocks on the door. I get up there. I get to the door, and it's this box that has a ham inside of it for another person, not us, right? That happened last year. The same person, they sent this box. And so last year, it took me like, I don't know how long to get it to the right person. I would have put it in the freezer at our house and wait. So anyway, I ran it back up to that guy and gave it to him. When Jesus was delivered, it wasn't an accident. It was the predetermined plan of God. Jesus was sent to this earth by the sovereign decree of God. Jesus went to the cross by the sovereign decree of God. It was God's plan to send His Son. God took pleasure in sending His Son to the cross. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. But here's the deal. From the foundations of the world, God chose to accomplish salvation for a people through Christ, and He delivered Him over at the proper time. Jesus, over and over in His ministry, He would say, My time has not yet come. And then finally at the end, He says, My time has come, and I must be delivered over in this moment. Notice as you kind of move through this text. He was delivered over and they will kill Him and He will be raised. Again, not something Jesus does. J- Jesus doesn't raise Himself. He is raised by God the Father. The Father delivered Him over. The Father will raise Him from the dead. And I think it's just a, a key thing to see in this moment. Jesus knew that God had, it had called Him to that for such a time as this to save a people. Verse 24, we'll just keep moving through here. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors... Now we kind of move to another segment. I know there's a lot of different things going on in this text. Hopefully you can kind of stay with me just for just a few more minutes. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? And Peter says, yes. So we, we, as we get to this moment, they're moving along. Jesus just said we're going to suffer. We, I mean, Jesus is going to suffer. He's going to die. We move from there to this moment that's just kind of an interesting thing. Peter is walking alone evidently and these men come up and say, look, does your teacher pay the tax? Now, what is the tax here? <clears throat> you can just sketch this down. This two drachma tax is this. It is a tax for the temple. And every male at age 20 started paying this tax. It was just understood that you would. You would give this two drachma tax. It was like two days' wage. You would give that every year to help pay for all the services of the temple. And so that all those things could take place. Everything could be, be done. That's what took place. Now, <clears throat> notice what Jesus says as we kind of move through this section Peter says of course he does yes Jesus does so Jesus asked Peter this question what do you think Simon from who do the kings of the earth take toll or tax from their sons or from others what's Jesus saying what's up with that who do they take that from now you think about this there's a king he is really getting taxes from all around really in the Roman world they would do that they would conquer people and then tax them like crazy. And so when they would do that, they would bring all this money into the treasury and so the king would have all of this wealth and ability to do the things he wanted to do. Is he going to tax his sons? Why would he tax his sons? No, he's not going to tax his sons. His sons are a part of of living in his kingdom. They're living among him. The, the, he's trying to get taxes so he can afford to pay for all of his sons. So as as Jesus asked this, Peter says this, and when he said this, he says from others. They're not going to tax their sons. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Now I just want you to kind of capture that. Now what's the deal with the temple tax? Whose house? Whose house is that? Yeah, it's God's house. It's the Father's house. It was created for God. It was God's dwelling among men. When Jesus says that, remember when he was a little child, he was 12 years old, his parents lost him, they come and find him, he said, Well, I'm at my father's house. So, does Jesus need to pay the tax? No. And so, I think that's the point as you're kind of moving through this now. But look what Jesus says. However, not to give offense to them, do this. Now, this gets really interesting because. What happens is over and over as we kind of think this through, what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I'm not going to offend these people unnecessarily. I'm going to do something. that I don't have to do this, but I want... Listen, Jesus wanted them to understand who He was. He didn't want them to get so confused in all the, the other things that they would say, I'm not even going to listen to Jesus. He doesn't even... Follow the, the normal trends of this world. That I mean, we, everybody gives a temple tax. So Jesus says, Peter, go drop a line, pull the fish up, pay the tax, and we'll go on forward. Now, I want you to catch this just, just real quick as we think about this. Later in Scripture, what does Timothy do? Do you remember? Paul and Timothy are going together. Paul says to Timothy, I'm going to circumcise you. Timothy's like, what for? Well, Timothy, we're going into this Jewish region and you need to be circumcised because they're not going to listen to you unless you are. Later, when Paul's in a Gentile region, he doesn't do that with Titus. He doesn't circumcise him. And so what you see Paul say is, basically, I'm going to become all things to all men. I'm not going to unnecessarily hinder them so that the Gospel can come to them. So maybe that would kind of help you as you think through this text. Christians should have the attitude of Jesus towards those things. We should have that same heart. We should ask that question. Honestly, it's like, I don't know if you've ever been around people, maybe you grew up in a really staunch certain Baptist kind of churches where KJV was the only Bible they were going to preach out of, and they would just come up there and be like, they would, seriously, the KJV was more important than Jesus, right? You almost felt like that sometimes, and you think, oh, mercy, you can't. So I would probably not use the ESV this morning if I was preaching to a KJV only church. I mean, that's one example among many. There's many different things that people kind of sometimes could hinder them and so you don't want to come up with crazy stuff that will get them off the center which is Christ and Christ alone. And that's kind of how I would put that together. So, what do you learn from today? What do you come away with? I mean, what do you see in all of this? What, what is taking place here? Jesus Number one, is calling His disciples to a faith that they don't really know yet. He's helping them grow in their faith. And in this moment, He is showing them their need to cry out, Oh Lord, I need You. Help my unbelief. Help me grow in this way. Jesus is about doing that with You. We're going to start reading a book real soon. It's called The Trellis and the Vine. I'll show you a little bit more about that. But it is about You embracing a ministry that calls you not just to come in for me on Sunday mornings. I usually come in here. I set up the sound, and I set up all these the sound things. I don't have to pray. Oh God, give me the ability to set this up just right. I just know what to do. There's another guy who comes in. We set up the chairs and we lay them out in a certain way. It's not something I have to pray all week. Oh God, let me set down the chairs just in the perfect and right way. It doesn't have to do that necessarily. But God often calls you to a ministry that calls you to to cry out to Him, God, give me the strength in this moment. I need You. I need Your grace. I need Your power. I need Your strength for this. If if, If God's not calling you to that kind of ministry, you evidently aren't pursuing a radical view of what it means to be in Christian ministry. He's called us to serve others and to give of ourselves, and God stretches us in that. He calls you to be... Um, to go through almost a lot of discomfort often. And I think Jesus is showing these disciples that they must continue to grow. They must continue to learn to trust Him. They must continue to appropriate these things by faith so that they might be faithful to Him and do ministry that they are incapable of doing, but by His power they can. Ephesians three twenty twenty one. 21 Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power... That works within us, they've got to learn that. And secondly, as far as a principle for us, we have to be careful and constantly be aware that people come from all different kinds of backgrounds. There's times they make you so mad and you think, why do they think this or why do they believe this or what? And sometimes it can cause such a disruption that it gets us off the gospel. Jesus needs to come out to us. He needs to to be shown to others. And the way that happens is that you being aware of other people's thoughts, of other people's struggles, of other people's views, of all those things, as long as you keep it on the center and you don't back away from the Gospel, it has more offense than you can imagine. It offends people like crazy. So we shouldn't be in offense just for the sake of being one. So let's pray together and we'll conclude today. Lord, I ask you this morning to help us see that Jesus is greater than all. That Jesus, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, that nothing can hinder him. That he became a servant. That he died. That he gave his life for us. So that we might be used to bless others. God, I just pray that we would pursue a life that would be lived for the kingdom in such a way that it causes us constantly to pray Help my unbelief. And Lord, I just pray that we would be like Jesus. That we would speak the Gospel clearly, but that we would not unnecessarily offend. Pray for whoever's here this morning, Lord, if they don't know You, that they would see who You are from all of our service, that they would understand that You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that their only hope is to trust in Him.